Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio version of my show, Rebel Roundup, where we cover the hottest Rebel stories of the week. Today, my guests are Sheila Gunn-Reed and Kian Bexty. If you like the podcast, then you should become a premium content subscriber. That gets you access to the video version of my show, as well as shows from Ezra Levent and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only $8 a month to subscribe. And as a special bonus for you, we're offering a 10% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. Thank you for listening, and now enjoy the show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Would you be offended if you saw young white males laying wreaths at a cenotaph on Remembrance Day? (laughs) Well, one nutty professor at the University of British Columbia was indeed triggered by such a sight. Just wait till you hear this story from Sheila Gunn-Reed. Oh, and here's a surprise. More virtue signaling from the Greta Thunberg camp. This time around, they are ensuring that we're all, we all know that they are reducing their carbon footprint thanks to using a multi-million dollar catamaran to cross the ocean as opposed to a jetliner. Gee, must be nice to have rich friends with toys to lend out when it comes to living one's life as a climate crusader. Ian Bexty has all the sanctimonious details. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding my interview with Don Cherry the day after he was fired. Um, Let's put it this way. The vast majority of you are absolutely furious with the dismissal of grapes as we all lay witness to the rapid and despicable growth of cancel culture. Those are your Rebels, now let's round them up. Economics instructor Maria Adshade took to Twitter to ask UBC President Santa Ono why fraternity members were allowed to lay wreaths at the school's Remembrance Day ceremony. Let me show you what Adshade tweeted when she saw a fraternity daring to lay a wreath in remembrance. Wondering why frat boys are laying wreaths at the Remembrance Day ceremony at UBC. Surely there are other more representative groups on campus to play this role. Representative of whom? Does she know the majority of the casualties in World War I and World War II and every single war were young fraternity-aged men? You couldn't get more representative if you tried, unless your concern isn't honoring the fallen, but rather checking some social justice quota box. And then Adshade followed up with this. Regardless of how any of you feel about me, you should not be supporting this casual racism. Adshade doesn't mean her casual racism and casual misandry, insisting that someone of a different race or sex would be more worthy of honoring Canadian veterans. No, she thinks letting frats honor fallen young men and women 
is casual racism. You cannot make this stuff up. Well, just when you thought that the loony left couldn't politicize Remembrance Day any further, along comes yet another nutty professor on campus bemoaning that the presence of white frat boys laying wreaths at a cenotaph to pay their respects to the fallen is somehow politically incorrect, it's triggering, it's offensive. Oh, how vulgar can you get? Well, joining me now with more on a story that defies logic and decency is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me back on the show. Well, it's always a pleasure. So, Sheila, first of all, just so that I and all our viewers can wrap our heads around this whopper of a story, what exactly is casual racism and just how does it differ from racism classic? I don't know if it's the racism they do on Friday because Friday's casual day or if you're allowed to wear stretchy pants when you're doing it. I don't know what casual racism is. Um, and I don't know how allowing frat boys to lay a wreath um, to honor, um, in some instances, their own war dead, um, young men from their own fraternities. I have no idea how that amounts to casual racism. You know, I didn't even bother Googling it. I was just going to try to think this through. Is maybe what she's saying, this professor, that um, even when what isn't trying to be racist, you can say or do something that might be perhaps maybe interpreted by somebody as racist, so therefore it's racist. Well, and this lady, I mean, I've... Now I understand a little bit after the fact, after more information came in, because some young men who are part of the fraternity system or the Greek system, as they say, um, on UBC campus, they actually reached out to me to say that this lady, she's got a real personal jihad against um, these you know, fraternal organizations and men's groups in general. She doesn't like the idea that there are places that men can gather without um, busybody, woke, scold ladies like her putting their nose in the middle of it. Um, but yeah, like for her, it is racist. Uh, however, even if it's unintentional that these young men, some of them are white, some of them are not white. A lot of the guys involved weren't taking stock of everybody's ethnic background before they started laying wreaths. For her, it's just the fact that a young white man walked up and put a wreath on the cenotaph that was casual racism because uh somebody didn't walk around and select somebody else based on their ethnicity and for me selecting people to do things based on their ethnicity feels a little bit like actual overt as opposed to casual racism so sheila let's try to deconstruct this she's what she finds problematic is that they are male and they are white. So I guess yeah. in her world to rectify things for Remembrance Day 2020, they should, oh, I don't know, have um, a gender reassignment and become uh, female. And um, in terms of the whiteness, um, oh, well, I think we have a prime minister that is an endorser of brownface and blackface. Um, or does that open up another can of worms in terms of the racism debate? This is mind-boggling. I'm so confused, Sheila. The, what I'm trying to say is, how can a white male help change the fact that he's a white male? This is her problem, not theirs. 
yeah, this is absolutely a her problem, seeing everything through the lens of gender and race. She said, and these were her the words of her exact tweet, wondering why frat boys are laying wreaths at the Remembrance Day ceremony at UBC. Surely there are other more representative groups on campus to play this role. Representative of what? The war dead? Because I guarantee you, most of the young men... Um, and uh, I, I forget the exact number, actually, I, I have it on my screen here. Um, the amount of young men who went overseas from UBC, 1,600 young men enlisted from UBC to serve. I guarantee you, just based on the demographics of Canada and, you know, BC at the time, just demographically speaking, probably most of them were white, but guaranteed most of them were young men who better to be representative of the war dead, um, these young men who signed up selflessly to fight fascism, than, you know, other young men? It's just peculiar that she felt that these young men were unfit to honor Canada's war dead just because they were young men. No, you know what, that's a very profound point, Sheila, and the fact is that, yes, um, a couple of generations ago, Canada was a less diverse nation, and today, uh, you know, for, through a variety of uh, factors, uh, the most profound being medical science, uh, we do have more older people, and we do live longer, but at the time, when you looked at who the vast majority of the war dead from our dominion were, it, we're talking young white men. But, you know, the thing about this story, Sheila, uh, I mean, our, um, we, we've run numerous uh, episodes of Campus Unmasked. Rob has done a fantastic yep. job with that. The, in the bigger picture is that what this professor is saying, she isn't really um, an outlier. She isn't no. sort of the lunatic fringe. This is basically what you see is what you get on campus. These in unbelievable interpretations of history and gender and race. What she is putting out there, I would argue, Sheila, is not ab abhorrent to, to other professors in uh, North American colleges, but something that would make them not in unison. What would you say about that? She's absolutely the mainstream sentiment prevailing in academia right now, and particularly at UBC. Um, I was reading some news articles that other faculty were in support of her saying these sorts of things that, you know, that everything, even laying a wreath, should be looked at through the lens of gender and race. I was at Remembrance Day ceremonies. I actually, I ended up being at two because I had one kid at one and another kid at another. Um, and it didn't even occur to me to check out the race of the people laying the wreaths. I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind to see whether it was a young girl cadet or a young boy cadet that was laying the wreath. And I don't think it crossed the mind of the cadets either. So, it, you know, it's these people who are, I'm going to bet, are probably the the people who would most likely presume that Canada's soldiers, um, they would call them baby killers or war criminals. Those are the ones who are speaking up now to say that there are this demographic of people that can't honor uh, Canada's fallen heroes. I mean, it's just so peculiar because they're not speaking up for soldiers. They're not speaking up for our fallen heroes. They're not speaking up for our grandpas and grandpas and uh, the veterans amongst us. They're actually speaking up for the hurt feelings who, of people who are there 
witnessing the wreath laying who are probably not even concerned about these things. They're being concerned on behalf of people who just don't care. And, and you know, Sheila, if I may make a personal observation, on um, Sunday, November 10th, I went to the Remembrance Day ceremony where I live in Richmond Hill, and I noticed again this year that when it came to the Air Cadet Squadron of R Richmond Hill, I would estimate roughly 90 to 95% of the Air Cadets were Asian. Yep. And yep. I don't know why that is. I think it's curious, but am I offended? Absolutely not. Maybe there's a cultural reason um, why so many Asians in, a, you know, in my community are attracted uh, to the Air Cadets. But I would never for the life of me uh, state something like what this professor is stating, that there's too many Asians in the Air Cadets as much as she's stating there's too, ma too much young white maleness in a Remembrance Day ceremony. It's baffling. Yeah, and I will make the exact same observation that you did from, you know, the continent away from you. I, I, my daughter's an Air Cadet. Her, she has an ethnically diverse uh, Air Cadet squadron. There are over 100 kids there. They're from all different backgrounds all different ethnicities, all different um, socioeconomic backgrounds. They have so many kids with the last name Patel in her air cadet squadron that they are considering making a flight, like, like <laughs> a flight of air cadets with the last name Patel because it's so ethnically diverse and nobody cares. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet that, you know, on the battlefields far away, nobody cared anybody else's, else's ethnicity when you're fighting a common foe like fascism. 100%, uh, Shilly. No, we have to wrap it here. Uh, I, I would just like to say, you know, we've seen in recent decades the war on Christmas, the war on Halloween, the war on Thanksgiving even. I used to think that Remembrance Day was somewhat sacred. I mean, because it, it is so important and it was a matter of life and death. And yeah. I just wish these leftists would just keep their grubby hands off this and stop trying to reimagine this day and rebrand it and see things into it that don't exist. I just find it so vulgar and offensive and we have to take a stand even if we run the risk of being called racist ourselves. Sheila, it was a great commentary. Thank you so much for weighing in as always. You got it, David. We have to stop making Remembrance Day about ourselves yes. and our petty grievances and remember why we're doing it. A hundred percent. That's right, all you professors out there and others. <laughs> it's not about you. It was about them. Thank you so much again, Sheila Gunn-Reed. And of course, that was Sheila reporting from Northern Alberta. Folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Now, because she originally came to North America to go to the COP25 summit in Chile, which was moved to Spain, she had to find a way to get back across the Atlantic Ocean. And in that conversation, in that business center, in that hotel in Edmonton, she committed to me personally to not taking a plane back. Now, actually, she's going to be taking a half a million euro catamaran across the Atlantic back to Spain. It's a luxurious catamaran. Take a look at this. There's three beds in it, and all three of those beds are filled up with a family, uh, a third woman, and Greta herself. Those other three in the hotel room, well, they're going to have to get a transatlantic plane ticket. 
Nobody knows much about the people behind her, but we do know that they will be getting a plane ticket because there's no other way to get across the Atlantic Ocean in time for the COP25 summit. So I want to thank the protesters in Chile personally for saving us from nearly a year of St. Greta telling us that we need to change how we live our lives while ignoring China and India and every other major polluter in Asia and Europe and Africa. I'll be going to COP25 with my colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed. We're going to be there in person to ask Greta, her crew, and everyone else going to the UN some tough questions. And I want to thank Greta for being my carbon offset because I will be taking a plane there. Wow, who could have guessed that being a carbon crusader means that you get to travel the world in style? A luxury catamaran on the high seas and a whiz-bang Tesla sports sedan on the highways. What a sweet gig, eh? And joining me now is our roving reporter, Kian Bexty, who, as you just heard, will be taking an old-school jetliner to the next UN Climate Summit in Madrid. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So, Kian, you mean to say that you and Sheila Gunn-Reed won't be rowing a boat across the Atlantic to reduce your carbon footprint? I mean, in the immortal words of St. Greta, how dare you? <laughs> well, thankfully, Greta is taking a luxury catamaran across the Atlantic, so she's going to be our carbon offset, uh, and that'll pay for our carbon emissions on the way to Madrid. Sheila's leaving from Edmonton, I'm leaving from Calgary, and we'll rendezvous in Toronto, and then fly from Toronto to Madrid. So it's like three, it's going to be six flights at the end of the day, so uh, thank God for Greta. You know, I I'll tell you, Kian, um, is there anyone in the media or anyone in the environmental movement that would have the intellectual honesty to call out this virtue signaling facade? And what I'm getting at here, Kian, is that think of real life people out there that are planning a, a, a trip to Europe or a trip to the Caribbean, wherever it is, for, for pleasure, for work, um, to see family. The idea that we could you know, tie in to a pool out there of wealthy millionaires that would lend us a luxury catamaran, that would lend us a six-figure Tesla. It's ludicrous. So why are we going through these motions in the first place? Well, because the mainstream media refuses to own up to how much of a virtue signaling joke this is. I mean, Greta Thunberg was in North America with her father, with a BBC producer slash activist, and with some sort of security personnel that we couldn't really identify, but she was really trigger happy on 911. I think she had it on speed dial. Um, so they, all three of those people that aren't Greta somehow got to North America from the continent of Europe, um, and they took a flight. They didn't. They weren't on a boat, and then they had to take a flight back because this catamaran only has three beds. Uh, two are taken up by uh, a gal named Nikki, and then the family that owns the boat. And then there's also a baby on the boat as well. And then um, Greta Thunberg will take up the other bed, presumably. So there's no room for Greta and her BBC crew. So they're going to take a flight back home. But the mainstream media isn't going to cover that. They're going to say, oh, wow, what a hero St. Greta is for taking this catamaran. She's so committed to low emissions. It's, it's pathetic, really. It, it really is. And it's a completely unrealistic alternative to yeah. the vast majority of people that live on this planet. But, you know, Kian, as, a, as one of my professors in journalism school used to say, always follow the money. And when it comes to that, 
these things, you know, whether it's old school travel or catamarans and Tesla uh, electric cars, it does not come cheap for this worldwide tour of uh, Greta Thunberg. Who is paying these bills at the end of the day? That's the thing, David. We aren't really able to tell. She's a foreign actor. She came to Canada in the middle of our elections. You might remember the video of me interviewing her in the Edmonton Hotel that we shared. Um, nobody knew who was funding her, where her money was coming from, yet she still was staging major political rallies that were tied to the Green Party of Canada and the New Democrats. Um, how she's getting back there, who's paying for this trip, well, we're not sure either. I do understand that the boat, the half a million euro catamaran that she's taking, is somewhat owned by the couple, the YouTubing couple that uh, have uh, have piloted the boat from Australia around the world in this sort of family YouTube video uh, channel thing. So she's probably getting that for free. Uh, she got the Tesla for free from elites like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, but who paid for her hotels? Who paid for her food? Who paid for the flights? for the BBC crew and for her dad and for her security. Nobody knows. You know, it's fascinating, Kian. Uh, I, I think um, it was the Times of London had a great article a few months ago that was uh, making the allegation that there's a lot of people uh, tied to the Greta Thunberg movement that, ha that stand to make billions with a B uh, dollars in terms of getting green energy contracts. So. Um, when you look at it that through that lens, uh, it, start, it starts to add up and make sense. But we'll see if there, um, hopefully other media outlets can do some investigative journalism and start connecting those dots. But Kian, the other thing about this, and you know, last month I went to uh, Greta's Vancouver um, climate crisis rally, uh, which was attended by thousands and thousands of people. But I'm trying to understand what the end goal of this is. Everyone says it's about creating awareness, but for the love of God, Ken, surely whether you buy into man-made climate change or not, everybody by now has to be aware of the climate change issue. You can't pick up a newspaper, watch a television, uh, listen to a radio without hearing this dogma over and over again. Wouldn't it make more sense if these kids, instead of playing hooky on Fridays, stayed in school and became, I don't know, the next Steve Jobs and invented a, a, a potential alternative energy source instead of just holding up some stupid sign? Well, I'll, I'll throw back to a question I asked Greta personally, and it, the, it was a question of whether or not climate change is a political problem or a scientific problem. You see these left-wing activists uh, and not to go into too long of a spiel on this, but at the root of it, this isn't about climate change. This is about wealth redistribution and regime change to left-wing administrations in countries that uh, aren't so dead set on wealth redistribution. Um, so when I asked Greta, is this a scientific problem or a political problem? Well, she said, well, I'm not engaging in politics. This is a scientific problem. And then I said, well, would you like a, a technical solution to climate change? Would you like someone to solve this problem so that we don't need carbon taxes? Uh, and then the immediate response from her handlers and security was, we're going to call 911 on you. And that's the root. <laughs> they don't want a technical, uh, technical solution to climate change. They don't want these problems to be solved. 
unless it includes a program to redistribute wealth from Canadians uh, to poorer countries in the world or from from uh, people who are better off uh, to people who are worse off. That's their goal. That's their fundamental goal. And if that's not part of the agenda, they don't care about climate change. And, and Kian, I totally echo what you said. That became evident to me at the Vancouver protest. Um, the amount of people there that were identifying themselves as socialists or communists, handing out literature to that effect. I really think what's behind this whole movement is that um, socialism and communism, it's kind of a tough sell given what we've seen in the world in the last several decades, how that turns out to be it North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, what have you. So the red movement has been rebranded as the green movement, but behind the colors, it's the same political philosophy, isn't it? You're absolutely right about that, David. Well, Ken, it was a, uh, a good rant. I, I hope you and Sheila, um, uh, you know, as a parting question, do you have your press credentials to get into this conference in Madrid, or is our own government working against us practicing journalism yet again? I'm actually going to hold off on answering that question because I don't want <laughs> to spill the beans. I know that Christia Friedland's office is watching Rebel Roundup very keenly to see what our plans are, and we're not going to tell them. Fantastic. Well, you know what? Whether you're allowed in or you're locked out, I know you and Sheila are really going to bring home the bacon in terms of what the real story is going on there. So thank you once again, Kian. Much appreciated. Thanks, David. You got it. And that was Kian Bexty in Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Mr. Cherry, tell me, do you think there is a double standard in this country right now? We just had a prime minister in the last election campaign exposed for multiple times wearing blackface and brownface. So many times he can't even remember himself. We had a candidate, uh, Jamie Batista in um, uh, uh, Nova Scotia, who said that when he sees a, uh, a thin native girl, uh, it reminds him, of, I think his words were a meth addict. Um, and he gets elected. The media go out of their way it seems to ignore or even make excuses for this kind of outright racism and yet with you with this one line they lose their minds um, why is that is it maybe that somebody who's right of center is judged differently than those who are left of center I really don't know I, you, you, David you're gonna have to figure that out yourself I know one thing I am a right winger and I've always been a right winger and uh, I don't know about those other things but I know one thing I'm gone and uh, uh, and uh, I don't know what else to say, and I feel I feel bad about it. I would have liked to gone on and finish the season at least this year, but uh, you know, like like I say, uh, you make you make uh, two little words, and uh, you're gone, and that's the way it is. And there's nothing you can do about it. That uh, that that that's the way the world is today, and that's the way it is in in the world of entertainment, as they say. Well, don't know about you folks, but I'm still reeling from Don Cherry being axed after almost 40 years on Hockey Night in Canada. In fact, I don't think it will sink in until the first period intermission tomorrow night when Coach's Corner will be replaced by <laughs> God knows what. What a disgrace. In any event, here's what you had to say about Don Cherry getting fired for saying something some people somehow found offensive. D. Wood writes, I cancelled the Sportsnet channels in my cable package today. Good. 
serves Rogers right. If robbers subscribe to the ideology of cancel culture, then let's see how they like it when they're on the receiving end. I just wish Rogers was my service provider just so that I could opt out too. Josephus 333333 writes, Don Cherry for Prime Minister. He means what he says and says what he means. Hmm, just when is that Conservative Party of Canada having its annual convention again? I believe it's next April. Well, folks, I can dream, can't I? Lava1964 writes, Don Cherry is a national treasure. Ron McLean revealed himself as a weasel. Indeed, I believe Judas received 30 pieces of silvery for his treachery. Wonder what Ron got. And Sabrina Miller writes, God bless the man. My heart is broken for him. Sabrina, I am certain these sentiments are shared by millions of Canadians as well as hockey fans the world over. Too bad the silent majority has once again been trumped by the tyranny of political correctness. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.